Today we're going to conclude our series on Lamentations, A Good Cry. Some of you might be saying, good, I'm done crying. Uh, and we're going to be moving into our Advent Conspiracy uh, series that's taking place next week. And I was going to kind of promote that next week, but since between now and next Sunday, we are going to have Black Friday, right? Everyone knows what Black Friday is. Now they're having it on, start on Thursday, I think, aren't they? Like, or it started Black Monday or whatever today. So before we jumped into this Christmas season, I wanted to show a little video kind of to set us off on our Advent conspiracy and talk about it uh, briefly after that. So go ahead, roll them, Keith. Well, if you weren't awake, you probably are now. Last year... In the month of December, we as a community raised almost $10,000 that we distributed to our community, to Mexico, and to Haiti in our small community with the idea of let's make Christmas about worshiping Jesus, about giving and not just receiving. And so instead of giving that one gift card, for $20, $30, $50. Let's take that money and let's put it towards these other things. And so we were able to raise money that's building a latrine for a school there in Haiti. Uh, We should be able to see that further in February when we go back out there as well as contribute more to build perhaps a kitchen for the students there where they can actually cook their food and eat. And Also in Mexico, the things that we've done, there is always need. And so what we did as a community, it said, you know what, we're going to make this about giving and not just the craziness that takes place. I I get cold sweats when I go to the mall during the Christmas season. I do. I get claustrophobic. I have to leave. I'm like a caged animal. You know, I'll go in there and of course I I don't do my shopping until the 23rd, you know, because then it's like, oh yeah, it's Christmas. And and if I go into the mall, I just like, oh my gosh, the crowds of people and the pressure and I just lose focus of, you know what, we're supposed to be celebrating, acknowledging the birth of our Savior. How can we as a community get hold of that? And invite people to be a part of that. And so this is what we have done with the Advent Conspiracy is we've invited our community to be a part of helping those who are in need. To be able to love others that are less fortunate than ourselves. And so next week we begin, it's going to be five parts leading up to Christmas where we are going to talk about the birth of the Lord, our Savior, and all that it means to us. And all this time, we are going to be focused on what we as a community can do to be giving an actual display of God's love to those who are in need and take back Christmas and make it about actually worshiping with what we have. And so that's a little preview. Thought I'd throw that out before Black Friday. Okay, just if you guys were planning on staying up all night at Best Buy or Walmart or Target or whatever to get that, you know, TV, Xbox, whatever. 
I've done all those things. I have admitted. I spent the nights waiting for PlayStations for my kids and all those things. But hopefully we can make this an opportunity to get back some of the things that we, I think, lose during that season. Anyway, let's continue our series in Lamentations, and we're going to jump to chapter 5. If you have a copy of the scriptures, open them up. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. And the high schoolers, Vamanos. Michael's telling me to tell you guys to leave. If you're in high school, he's wanting you to join him. They're meeting this week. Stephen, haven't you been in high school for like seven years now? (laughs) I like to tease that guy. Lamentations chapter 5. Throughout this series, um, I've asked the question, why would God want to include a book of poems, which is what lamentation is, about lamenting. Why is this in the scriptures? And hopefully it's caused us to think and recognize an important part of who we are is actually this emotional state that we go through where we do mourn. We've talked about how there are so many things that happen to us during this time that do not happen in any other time. We've talked about how there's a a sign of regret when we recognize that we've done something wrong. The mourning leads us to a recognition of the wrong that we've done. Michael talked about how it's an accurate response many times to the condition that we have, that weeping is actually the right thing to do when you find yourself in certain situations, when you find yourself having made just mistakes that have devastated you or those around you, weeping is legitimate response to those things. We also talked about how it reveals authenticity. We talked last week about this kind of extreme contrast that the prophet went through where he was just upset where he was full of hope where he was full of anger and it all happened in just one chapter and it was an actual revelation of the things that were taking place within him and these are things that happened through this emotional state that we find ourselves in that that sorrow many times is a ship that steers us into waters that we need to go into even though we don't want to that it takes us to a place where we will grow no other way except in these dark waters. C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. That there are times where we are deaf and blind to what is really taking place around us until there is an awakening. And the awakening many times happens in the time of sorrow. Our marriage is doing fine until there is awakening and then we see things break down and are difficult and there's the hardship and there's the weeping and then there's the cry for help. Nothing wrong with our kids until there's awakening and you find out that there is this addiction or this problem and now there's the cry for help. And it wasn't until that time of intense sorrow that became our megaphone 
to help us be aware of, of what is taking place. And unfortunately, it is in this sorrow that we become aware of these things. Now, we've talked how the the poems that are written here in Lamentation are acrostic, and what that meant is that each phrase began with a certain letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In chapter 3, there were three stanzas that began with a letter. In chapter 5, it starts that way, but then it falls apart. It's almost as if the prophet Jeremiah is writing and his emotion overwhelms him and he says, forget the structure. It just, it doesn't apply anymore. I just need to tell you what I'm feeling. And so all of a sudden this alphabetical order just disintegrates. And there's just this emotion that overtakes even the structure that he'd been following all the previous chapters. And as he starts to do this, it's a dark place. But again, in that dark place, I believe there's illumination. In verse 1 of chapter 5, he writes, Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Did the Lord forget? Did the Lord not see their disgrace? He talked previously that the Lord knew their condition. Why is he saying, remember, Lord, look at our disgrace? Sometimes we just need to vocalize that. Does anyone see? Does anyone know? I have learned the hard way as a parent that sometimes my kids don't really want an answer. They just want an ear. But I know the answer. So I'm going to give it to you, whether you want an ear or not. And it's been through experience where I've been giving the answers that, hey, these are the answers you're telling me, so I'm going to answer it for you. And I've seen the countenance shut down and the heart closed to the conversation because what they really wanted was an ear. What they really wanted was for me to hear what they're experiencing and what they're going through. And on my way to try and answer their problem, I closed the ears. And so Jeremiah is just crying out. He goes, remember? Do you see? Now, if I were to be there at Jeremiah, well, Jeremiah, of course he sees. Look at the scriptures tell us that this, he probably would have said, shut up. I'm not done. I want to tell you what I'm feeling. Sometimes there has to be the expression so that we can fully understand what's taking place and just be with them. Years ago, a friend of mine, we played music together and we were at this uh, event together and he didn't come into the event and I wondered, where's Michael? And I, I walked outside and he was just sitting by himself and I said, what's up, Mike? What's going on? I could tell something was weighing heavy on him, and he said, I just found out my grandfather died, and we were close. And I don't know what happened, because it wasn't like me. All of a sudden, I just embraced him, and I started crying. And it was weird to me, okay, because I don't do that. 
So don't worry, if you tell me someone, to, I'm not going to hug you and start crying. But I did at that time. I just hugged him and I just started crying. And he just started weeping. He just, it just overflowed. He could not control himself from weeping. And I thought that was weird. And I was crying and I thought, this is going to look strange to someone walking by. They're going to wonder, what are you guys crying about? But it was a time where all I could do is identify with his expression and cry with him. And there was nothing else I could say. I wasn't going to quote him a verse. I wasn't going to tell him, it's okay, Michael, you know, Romans 8.28, bro. All things work out for the good. It's true, but right now I just need to cry. And so sometimes we just need to be able to share these things. And he, he goes on and he explains the pain he's feeling through. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers our homes to foreigners. Think about that. That jewelry that belonged to your, your grandmother. That home that had been in your family for all these years is now just given away to someone else. We have become fatherless. Our mothers are widows. We must buy the water we drink, like California. Our wood can be had only at a price. It really is California. Those who pursue us are at our heels. We are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. These are people who we were formerly against, who were opposed to us, but we're needing to go to them for our sustenance. Our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. Slaves rule over us. And there is no one to free us from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because, the sword, because of the sword in the desert. Our skin is hot as an oven, feverish from hunger. Women have been violated in Zion and virgins in the towns of Judah. Princes have been hung by their hands. Elders are shown no respect. Young men toil at the milestones. Boys stagger under loads of wood. The elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. A dark chapter when you recognize that the condition you are in could have been avoided. An understanding, this is an accurate response to what we're going through. This is genuinely how we feel. But remember in chapter 3 as he ended, he kind of ended with this accusation. God, get the children of Israel for how they treated me. Lord, bring judgment on them. But now that has changed. Now when he sees the actual judgment, it is not one of, ha, I told you so. It is one like, oh my gosh, what have we done? There is an identification that is taking place that is actually a sign of maturity. And instead of they have sinned, it is we have sinned. Look at what we have done. And there's such a contrast here. In verse 15, 
where he says, our joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. Such a contrast from Psalm 30, where David, in dedicating the temple, says, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my slack cloth and clothed me with joy. That's not the case now. Now we've gone from the place of joy, from dancing, to a place of mourning. And sometimes it's hard for us to think of this as growth, to actually move from a place of having this joy and having this jubilation, this expression, to moving to a place where there's mourning. It's hard to see that as actually growing or heading in the right direction, but sometimes it is. Sometimes to get to the place where you can have a wholeness, you have to first go through that place where there's a recognition and there's mourning. And there isn't health until you go through the hurt. Yesterday I was training a dog and it was a little schnauzer mix, about 15 pounds And the dog had severe anxiety. The dog was very abrasive with people. If anyone walked in the house, the dog would just bark nonstop at them. And so this lady said, I need help with my dog. And here I walked in the house, and sure enough, the dog's barking, 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 barking. And I said, well, what do you do to get it to stop? She goes, I can't. She's like, stop, stop, you know, and the dog just, wah, wah, wah. dog jumps on her lap and starts barking, and wah, 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 wah. starts barking, 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 and I, I tell her, well, what has to happen is you need to take control. The dog is taking control and is telling you, I don't like this person, and so now they're barking and barking, and they're being crazy with these people because they're not seeing you handle the situation, and so what you need to do is put the dog in its place. She's like, well, how do I do that? Well, you have to correct the dog. You have to reprimand it for that. She's like, well, I don't want to reprimand it because then he'll get his feelings hurt. (laughs) And then won't he, you know, be more mad? And it's like, you don't mind him coming after me, (laughs) but you won't correct him. And she's like, well, I don't know how to do it. And so I give her some tips. Well, you got to do this. And the dog is not responding to her because the dog's just not taking her seriously. And so I said, well, I'll show you what needs to be done. That's why I'm the trainer. This isn't going to be pretty. I just want you to know the dog's not going to like this and you're probably not going to like it either. But what needs to happen is someone needs to take back the house and let the dog know that it's not in charge. Are you okay with that? And she said, okay. And I know they say okay, but they don't understand what that means. (laughs) And and so as I get the dog and the dog starts barking at me, it's like, you know, kind of jumping at me and snapping at me. I said, okay, I'm going to dominate the dog i'm gonna get it to submit to me and so i take the leash and i get the dog and he starts screaming freaking out as i got my hand on its back and the leash on the front so he's not getting me and i'm just having this little wrestling match with the dog and finally i get its neck and now the dog is just trying to bite me going crazy he's getting my knuckles a little bit but that's just part of the job you know and finally i and, and i mean it gets ugly the dog starts pooping all over the place 
Okay, and finally I get the dog and I've got it pinned down on the ground. And it's horrendous, right? She's standing there like this. <gasps> like this. I'm standing there like this because now i got poop on my pants and it's just everywhere. And I finally get the dog pinned and the dog just all of a sudden goes. <sighs> and he finally lets go. It's like a bucking bronco. It's like, I win. And then I start petting him. I'm not going to kill you. I was just thinking about it. <laughs> just letting you know it's going to be okay. And she gets some paper towels and stuff, and she cleans up the dog and cleans up the mess. And I clean up my pants, and I'm just sitting there holding the dog. And there's a, a change that takes place with the dog. All of a sudden, it surrenders. And I let the dog up. And it's not barking anymore because it just got whooped. <laughs> and it knows, I'll whoop you. And one of her friends comes over, and usually the dog goes crazy, but the friend walks in the door and the dog just sits there and looks at him. And she's like, what happened? I said, dog's not in charge anymore. I am. So I'm going to be living here for the next week. No. <laughs> and I convey to her what I think sometimes God needs to convey to us. Sometimes we fight. We kick, we scream, we bite because we don't want to let go of our dancing. We want to sing the songs that we've been singing. We want to live the life we've been living. And it's not always that it's some sin that you've done. You're out getting drunk. You're out fornicating. You're out doing these. Sometimes we're just in a place of numb disbelief. We're in a place of religious tradition. I go to church because, well, it's Sunday. You're supposed to go to church, and it's a good thing. And I, I do my time. I, I read my Bible. I'm doing all these things. But there's a detachment from actual trust in God. You see, I believe if we are living the lives that God wants us to live, we are on the verge of being scared to death every moment. I believe that a life of faith is a life that pushes us beyond our reason. It pushes us beyond our emotion. It pushes us to take steps and do things that everything in us says, don't do that. That's scary. You're going to trust God for that? You're going to take a step in that direction? What if God doesn't come through? What if God doesn't answer that prayer? What if, and we live this life that is religious, but is not real. And we have to sometimes be woken up. And we have to let go of those things, and sometimes we go kicking and screaming. And we have to let go of that morning, we have to, or that singing and that dancing and we have to actually move to a place 
of mourning. You see, because what we do is we, we crave purpose for our pain. We want to know that it's happening for a reason. We, we want meaning for the mourning that we're going through. I want it to mean something if I'm hurting. I want to know the why for the weeping that I'm experiencing. I have to know that there is something behind these things, but we don't want to press into it if it is going to cause us mourning, if it is going to cause us the weeping, if it is going to cause us the pain. We tend to shy away from those things even though it might cause us growth. And so we live safe lives. And the life that Jesus called us to is anything but safe. If you want to follow me, pick up your cross and deny yourself. I don't know that we realize what he's saying. It's been spiritualized so often. Oh yeah, pick up your cross, follow Jesus. The cross is not a good thing. It's an instrument of death. Denying does not come easy. It didn't for that dog and it doesn't for us. And many times it looks the same way. It's a fight. But it's a necessity. James tells us so. Turn to James chapter 4. Chapter 4 verse 1. He says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires to battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he is jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. That is why the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Who's James talking to? Man. Well, he's talking to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. That's what it says in chapter one. No, he's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to us. He's talking to us and trying to get us to a deeper understanding and reason. To get us to have a fuller experience of what needs to take place. The arguments that are going on between you, the decisiveness. You say so many times churches are about establishing themselves instead of being part of a movement. I don't want to be an establishment. I want to be a part of a movement, a movement that Jesus has begun, a movement that continues today. It's not about, I want to establish Genesis to be a big deal. 
I want Genesis to be a part of the big deal. I want us to be a part of the movement that is taking place. And we fight when we want to posture ourselves. We fight when we want to hold our ground. We fight and argue and try and assert ourselves. I have the rights to do this. This is about me. This is about us. And when he says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Don't we usually think friendship with the world is about people? Oh, can't be friends with those people. Or certain things. We, we label the friendship of the world. But then I always have this trouble. Jesus was a friend of sinners. How do I take Jesus, the friend of sinners, and this, the friendship of the world, and what, how do those things fit together? What, what's James trying to say? Because I've always heard that it means the, don't hang out with the sinners, don't be involved with the things that they do. But then I see Jesus, he was involved with sinners, even though he didn't do the things they did. He brought light into those dark places. How do you balance those things? Does anyone else ever think that? Okay, thank you, Lola. Denise, okay. Three of us will go out to lunch later. We'll talk about <laughs> four. Okay. <laughs> you guys just want to go to lunch now. That's a... Here's kind of a rule of thumb. Anything that Jesus did, you can do. I mean, walking on water, those kind of things. You understand what I'm saying. If Jesus did these things, it's an example for you to be like Jesus. But the friendship of the world is the evil that is against God. And one of the biggest things that God is against is hypocrisy. And his pride. That's what Jesus showed the most emotion against. Was the Pharisees, their hypocrisy, the pride. Anything that hinders people from coming to a relationship with God, Jesus is adamantly against. And that is the evil of this world that James is talking about. And you see, that's the subtle things that creep into our lives. Those are the subtle things that we are not aware of. And what James is saying, you guys, you need to stop carrying on like everything is good because there is something deficient in your relationship with God and you are blind to it. So you need to grieve. You need to mourn. You need to wail. You need to change the laughter to mourning. You need to humble yourselves before the Lord. And you see, the whole point of this is you need to take who you are and you need to make it a base. You need to prostrate yourself onto the ground so that God has the ability to speak into your lives. The thing that happens to us when we lower ourselves, when you bow down, what is happening is you are placing your head below your heart. So now the center of what matters is actually above your reason. You're giving God the ability to take a more prominent place in your life. When you humble yourself, you abase yourself and you say, what I need is what you have and is what I don't. 
The reason I am mourning, the reason I am wailing, the reason I'm reason I'm stopping dancing is because I don't have what I need to carry on and I desperately need it. I am like a person who's lost their inheritance and foreigners now have it. I don't have a home. I don't have a father. My wife is a widow. That doesn't make sense because if she's my wife, I'd be dead. You understand. I'm bankrupt. I am in a place of such ruin that all I have is you. We talked about that last week that sometimes when he says it is because of your love that we are not consumed, it is because of God that we have hope at all. And there comes a place where we have to humble ourselves and recognize our condition so that we can move to where we need to be. And that step of faith that gets us from this place of pride, this place of self-contentment, this place of self-sufficiency, and moves us to a place where we can actually have an impact and a voice in the world around us is a scary thing. To take that step of faith and actually trust God for the things that you cannot control is a difficult thing. It is for me. I need to control this. I need to fix this, God. And I'm trying everything I can and I'm doing everything I can and finally I get to the place where I said, I just don't know what to do anymore. And God says, you need to recognize how little you are trusting me for this problem. You need to recognize how small I am in your life right now. You need to humble yourself. And you need to weep. And you need to cry. So that you can finally open your eyes and see that there is so much I can do. But you need to trust in me. I know that's hard, isn't it? I have a hard time letting go. I'll hold on tenaciously. I'll work on every detail, as many details I can. I will spend every penny in my bank account. I will do everything within my ability to solve this problem. And I'll pray on occasion, oh God, and help, help me with my efforts. And then there comes a place where, God, if you don't show up, I can do nothing. I'm out of money. I'm out of ideas, but I still have incredible need. This is where I'm at. And sometimes getting to that place is very difficult and very hard. There's this thing called the event horizon It's in physics. What the event horizon is, is... Everything that we know of 
happens on this side of the speed of light. In other words, everything that we're able to see out in the galaxies and those things are because of light traveling and us having the ability to see. But the event horizon is a whole nother realm that is taking place that is beyond the speed of light that we are unaware of. Now, I don't understand that. I just wanted to say that so it made me sound smart. It made me feel smart just when I read it, okay? It's like, ah, it sounds good. I'm gonna read that, it sounds good. But you see, I think it's a very similar thing that happens with us, that there is an event horizon that needs to take place in our lives where we can only do so much, and this is all we know, but there is the ability to see and believe that is called faith, that trusts God for the invisible, the things that we cannot do, that we need to enter in. And until we live in that life of faith, we are not really living a life of faith. And so many of us are satisfied to live a religious life, but when it comes to stepping into that faith, it's too scary. I don't know. God, will you catch me? And sometimes God breaks us down and breaks us down and breaks us down. It's that dog struggling and fighting and finally says, I've got nothing else. And we surrender. And we say, okay, I'm stepping. And God is there. And we've crossed that horizon and now we're experiencing a life of faith that we didn't know before. He goes on in Lamentations 5 and he says, verse 19, You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Remember, their crown has just fallen. But your throne, it doesn't end. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. God, I want to be connected to who you are, to where you are. I need to be restored to you. Unless you've rejected us, if you've rejected us, there is nothing else. There is nothing else. So I need to trust you for the things that I am unable to fix. Turn with me to one last passage, Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Strengthen your feeble arms, those arms that aren't able to support or carry anything. You need to strengthen them so that they can support others, so that they can do 
the work that God has for you. If those arms aren't strengthened, they won't be able to help. They won't be able to work. They won't be able to hold. They won't be able to carry. And your arms are needed to do the work that God has for you. Your feeble knees, you, you can't stand. You, you can't move. You're, you're stuck. You're, you're broken. You need to strengthen those feeble knees so that you can actually stand, so that you can actually step, so you can actually move forward. You need to make the path straight so that you know you have a destiny, you have a purpose, you have something for you to do. Don't be disabled. Be healed. I feel that so many of us in our life of faith are disabled. We have thoughts and ideas that we would like to see God do in and through us. You know, maybe I say, yeah, we're going to Haiti in February, and you're thinking, oh, man, I'd really like to go to Haiti, but I can't. You know, I've got these things I have to do, and I don't think I could... You know, stop this. Did you ask? Did you care? Do you want to maybe see if you could? Or are you automatically just saying no without even taking a step? Or you know what I'd like to do? I'd really like to do something that would help this area. Or I'd like to see these people and their needs being met. And you've got this prompting, but I can't do it. Maybe someone else will. And you're disabled. Why can't you do it? Well, because I don't know what to do. Can you ask? Can you try? And, and fear just makes our world so small. And God is trying to change us so that our world can be bigger. You know, this poor little animal that I had to deal with only life it knew was a life of fear everyone who walked in that door they became afraid of they couldn't experience any relationship with anyone but the one person that they dominated and its world was closed to this life and finally when it was broken all of a sudden, it could meet other people without fear. All of a sudden, it had the ability to walk without barking and chasing after every dog that came and thought of it as a threat, that it could actually meet other dogs and not be afraid. All of a sudden, its whole life changed for the better. But it took breaking. And maybe... Our lives need to be broken. Maybe we need to do as James said. We need to mourn. We need to weep. We need to wail. We need to strengthen these things. Maybe we need to strengthen our feeble arms and our weak knees so that we can actually accomplish 
things that are beyond our horizon. Actually live lives of faith that make a difference to us and to those around us. God is calling you to something exceptional. And it's scary. And it's beyond your ability. It's beyond my ability. That's why it's called faith. And without that, it's impossible to please him. But we can do all things through him as he strengthens us. Let's pray. God, I resist things so often that I don't understand or I'm not comfortable with. It is not in my nature to risk and to trust. But it is yours. And you call us to live a life of faith, that you've come to give us a life and a life more full. And sometimes to experience that life that you have for us, there needs to be a dying. There needs to be a humbling. There needs to be a mourning. There needs to be the loss of the things that we are just not letting go of. And Lord, you took Israel through this time of utter ruin and calamity. But you didn't abandon them. In fact, you still, through them, fulfilled your promises. And even as we are going to enter into this Advent season where we acknowledge, recognize, and celebrate your birth. God, it is your promise to your people that you do care, that you do see that your love endures forever. And though it seemed dark and though it seems dismal, Lord, you are able to do a deep work in these places. And for those who are here this morning who find themselves maybe in one of those dark places, these places where they feel broken, they feel abandoned, they wonder if you care, they feel like they're fatherless, they feel like widows, they feel like the crown has fallen off. May they remember you reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. And our desire, Lord, is not to just be better, not to feel good, not to dance, not to be happy, but be connected to you, to be restored to you, to allow you to take us to that horizon that is beyond our ability to see. That you can do above and beyond what we could ask or think. 
dare we ask? Dare we think what you can do in us? Lord, I pray we would. Have your way with us, Lord. Again, thank you for our time. I pray you would enrich the truths of your words in our hearts. May they endure long after this morning is gone. May you cause them to grow and produce faith within us. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.